Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. On the last episode of Journey. I'm about heading out on the Hillary Bridge. Let's get my reaction out here. Oh, man basically like bungee jumping this is incredibly high wow from brevity studios i'm ryan wolf and this is journey everest base camp Okay, this morning, omelette over Tibetan bread, which I think is a, it looks like a, um, oh, it looks very fresh and nice. It's a, like a deep fried kind of bread with an omelette. Looks fantastic. Uh, blood oxygen down to 88% this morning, which is interesting, but that's within normal realms. All right, let's give a taste of this Tibetan bread with omelette. Mm, yum. Mm, it's got a little bit of sort of sweetness. Good. Very good. In a nice strong coffee. So today it's up to an Everest viewpoint and back. Pretty straightforward day for acclimatization. Day three dawns, and it's another beautiful Himalayan morning. Outside, I hear the sounds of Namche Bazaar coming to life. If I was pinching myself about where I was yesterday, today, it really feels so surreal. Namche Bazaar feels like some type of Himalayan resort perched here high up in the mountains. Breakfast done. We sit with Nidijan to have a short briefing of the day ahead, and he informs us of some rather scary news. The previous night in Fakdang, a mother and daughter had also shared the lodge. I remember them because they were talking so loud in the room next to me at 3am in the morning I could barely sleep, and had to finally resort to banging on the wall to curb their excitement. They had then trekked on yesterday as we did, 
and had again stayed in the same lodge. Namche is always a busy place, and the lodge we stayed in last night was full. So Nidijan had slept in the lounge. When he said at around 11pm, staff became aware that the mother wasn't feeling well. When Nidijan checked her blood oxygen levels, they were already at a dangerously low 65, and then proceeded to further fall into the mid-50s. For some context, at sea level, the average non-smoker's blood oxygen level should sit between 95 to 100%. Anything below 70% is cause for worry, and below 60% requires urgent evacuation. And in the case of this mother, that's exactly what happened. During the night, while we slept peacefully a few rooms away, she was urgently evacuated down the mountain. Her trek, well and truly over, on day two. Namche Bazaar sits at an altitude of 3,450 metres. Everyone is different, but in general, it's possible to suffer AMS, or acute mountain sickness, at any altitude above 2,500 metres. Today, I feel fine, but for the first time ever, my watch is showing 88%. I've never seen it below 90%, and when we test hankies, Hers is surprisingly in the 70s. Although this is considered normal at this stage. And that's why today, we'll be doing what virtually every trekker and climber does. Taking a rest day purely to acclimatise. Ideally, when trying to acclimate your body to the altitude, it's best to climb to a higher altitude to expose your body to the lower oxygen level, then descend back down the same day to sleep at that lower altitude to allow time for your body to adjust. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Directly above Namche Bazaar is a spot known as the Everest Viewpoint. The altitude is 3,880 metres, 400 metres elevation up from where we are now. So we're able to kill two birds with one stone, get a fantastic Everest view, and give our bodies the acclimatisation they need. We travel light, t-shirt, light jacket and light pants. Winding our way through the narrow cobbled back alleys of Namche Bazaar, we find the track we're looking for, and it's a seemingly infinite set of stone steps leading far up the hill that sits above the town. It's a beautiful day, and it's a nice change to be hiking with no packs. But it's still a steep, hot climb. We take a short break and turn to admire the view. From this height, we get a better idea of the layout of Namche Bazaar, which we can now see as a semicircle of buildings, tightly packed into a small bowl perched on the very edge of the Kumbu Valley. Surrounding the village on all sides are steep slopes, which rise many hundreds of metres up into the clouds, further adding to the sense of wonderment of the place. As we pause for a moment, we speak about the woman that was evacuated overnight. And Nidijan tells us about a tragic incident a couple years earlier, when a trekker that he had had a beer with at a lodge in Namche was struck with acute mountain sickness, or AMS. He carried some money there in the hotel, then around five, six thousand. Then we went up to the 
he start for the like head for the for EBC. Then on the way, he had like AMS, but he didn't realize that. Then other people, when he get low budget, like normally people from there, they can realize easily. You have like AMS. Then they did not give room to him. Then they said, okay, you should go back. And he took long time somewhere there in the middle. They uh, send him back around 10 or 11 a.m. But he get took around 3 or 4 p.m. So maybe he slept somewhere or something. Um, he did. We don't know. Then he get there. He had like dalvat at night as a, as a dinner. Then he went to bed. And early morning he did not wake up until 7.30 or 8. Then people from there, they go inside the room through the window and they check he was like nearly dead then they put him in the on the stretcher then he, they, just, they try to carry him <coughs> in down when they cross the river he passed away oh. yeah. wow. was that hard when you heard that yeah i heard then oh wow it was it was bad so it's happened sometimes it's no joke yeah. that's sad that you had a beer with him it's the scary reality of what can happen in these high mountains when things go wrong to climbers and trekkers and they are not to be taken lightly as we continue up the slope it levels out and we find a dirt runway lined with stones at the top of the hill although certainly not for any planes that carry passengers and from my understanding, due to the danger, it is rarely used. The reality is that helicopters are the only real mode of transport up here. In the Kumbu Valley, that's their highway. As we've climbed up through the mountains, there's been a consistent stream of helicopters running up and down the Kumbu Valley. Many of these are short sightseeing trips, or as often the case, expensive evacuations. Upon reaching the top of the hill above Namche Bazaar, we find three helicopters winding up their rotors, about to return their high-paying guests back down the valley after their lunch at the Everest Viewpoint restaurant. We watch on as each chopper, only a few metres away from us, lifts up, then simply nose drops straight off the edge of the cliff, only metres from where we're sitting. I've always found that helicopters are just damn cool. And there's something about the contrast between the technology of these high-tech machines and the very basic life here that I find fascinating. A few hundred metres beyond the choppers, we reach the viewpoint. And for the first time, we see the highest place on the planet, towering over a distant mountain range. But if there's one thing that becomes very clear, it's that we have a long, long way to go. Okay, so day three, and we're at the Everest viewpoint above Namche. We just hiked up a couple hours this morning, and behind me we get our first peak of Everest, which I don't know if my finger's in the right spot, but it's behind 
that mountain there and that ridge line. So we're going to go around this side here, yeah. and then we're going to go all the way around Gokia, and then a glacier behind there, and all the way around. So that's our next two weeks, and hopefully the weather continues. This audio is pulled from a video, which is why I reference my finger here. Far below us, the trail we'll follow tomorrow winds around the valley and veers off up to the left and out of sight. As we stare down into the valley, a huge bird, a Himalayan vulture, swoops right in front of us and then soars away on the breeze down into the valley. The wind has picked up dramatically. I pull on my windbreaker and we make our way back down the hill towards Namche. Along the way, Nidijan suggests we visit the Sagamata Next Foundation, which as it turns out, is a recently completed structure that has been built with a focus of turning waste into art, and includes in its mission the goal to better educate trekkers and climbers on the environmental impacts of tourism in the region. I'm not really sure what to expect, way up here in the middle of nowhere. But lo and behold, a short distance away, we find a beautiful stone complex, which features a large steel artwork out the front, made up of all sorts of steel waste. As we enter the complex, I meet the resident artists and have a brief chat about the foundation and its purpose. Yeah, the Denali Foundation uh, invited us to come and invited me to come and I said I, I got to come with a team because what they wanted was something, a sculpture that would draw people in off the path, kind of tell their story in, in, in sculptural format and so I uh, brought an employee and my, um, well two employees and, uh, mm-hmm. and then we were able to make a lot, a lot of sculptures out of waste that we gathered from Namchi and Kumjung and Simboche and and just the construction of this building. And uh, it includes anything from household appliances to crashed helicopter parts. And, and uh, inside the waste lab, you'll see we've made a couple more smaller little pieces that are just kind of like landscapes made out of roofing material. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been such a great experience. Um, I mean, we're living right here with the host family, and so we're very steeped in the the culture yeah. and the people and the food and the beauty all <laughs> yeah. around us right so it's been very very inspiring and such a good good awesome. thing to do and an amazing uh place to be a part of they take me for a look inside their lab and it's full of all kinds of weird and wonderful sculptures in varying stages of completion all made out of recycled parts from the region like some sort of steampunk zoo a very cool project. The other two larger sculptures of just like out of the waste comes just new life. Something new. Yeah. 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 And actually, this this is actually waste from um, like so the the bolts were all left over from this I, construction. Yeah. yeah. And then I took the tops off them. What was that for? It was that was for making all the stands. <laughs> For the tree. Yeah. Oh, so that's all the tops of bolts. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, all from the roots of... Next to their lab is another building, which blew me away with its state-of-the-art tech. 
all designed to help educate visitors to the region about the importance of managing their environmental impact. On one side of the room, I saw a person with a VR headset on, hands extended blindly in front, walking around in circles. Once I pulled the headset over my own eyes, I was transported into a world of white. As I turned my body 360 degrees through the falling snow, I see the colour of North Face tents and people preparing their gear. This is Mount Everest, filmed specifically for virtual reality by National Geographic. And if it wasn't for the warmth of the room I was standing in, I'd have thought I was there. As these climbers prepare for their climb, I feel a strange sensation as an imposter, standing right amongst them in this moment. Their moment. The temptation to reach out and touch is difficult to restrain. I pull off the headset and find myself back in this world and see Nidijan and Hanky on the other side of the room, speaking to one of the Foundation's staff. I wander over, where the three of them are looking at a large flat-screen TV, which displays a high-resolution topographic map of the Kumbu region, and when touched, displays different images and statistics throughout time. The landfills and burning, which is happening now, we have to take care of the rest and recycle and reuse it. The second part is what we do here is trying to use these and exhibitions and everything to talk about the whole region. Because now 90% goes Everest Base Camp. One valley, one trail, same way. Well, if I would be a visitor for the first time here, I would, if I knew that there are options if you want to go base camp, you can take an optional route back where you can see something much more beautiful than you see on the base camp track. 1991, 375 people had summited Everest in the first 38 years. That's like approximately 10 per year. From 1991 to today, that's 31 years. Yeah. So now you start to understand the increase that has happened yeah, since yeah, yeah. the 90s and especially since after 2000. So the last 20 years it has exploded. Pointing to the screen, a statistic highlights this crazy fact. In the first 38 years, 375 people had summited Everest. And in the subsequent 31 years, that number has risen to a mind-boggling 8,000 in climbing. Do you think it's going to hit a critical point where there'll be a huge accident or something? I sure hope not, but yeah, that's my, one of the main concerns is that, like 2019, two years, three years ago, on one day you had 200 climbers leaving South, uh, South Cole, the last camp, going for summit. So they were on a line up to, in one day, 200 climbers. And of course, if something goes wrong up there with that many people, now we're not maybe talking about the average of five people dying every year. And 2019, it was 11. If a day goes really sour with that number of people up there, you could have 50, 100 people there. And that would be, I think, pretty disastrous. Uh, not just for the families and the people, of course, but also for Nepal and for the mountain itself. Mm. Because I think 
We had you know, an accident in 2014, 16 Sherpas died in the icefall in Valley Avalanche. Didn't get that much attention in world media because it was Nepalese, you know. The world don't seem to care that much. Here, he's referring to the tragedy that occurred on the 18th of April, 2014, where a large serac, which is basically a huge overhanging bulge of snow and ice, dislodged and caused a massive avalanche, which tragically killed 16 climbing Sherpas as they were making their way through the infamous Kumbu Icefall, which is the first and most dangerous passage every person must take when ascending Everest. While this event was reported, had they been Western climbers, there's no doubt the response would have been far different. The Sagamata Next Foundation is as much an art exhibition as it is a museum dedicated to the educational history of the region and is 100% worth a visit. You'll find it directly above Namche Bazaar. It's free, although I recommend making a donation to help support their amazing work. A huge line of thousands of Tibetan prayer flags flap peacefully in the breeze at the crest of the hill. Directly across the valley, a 6,000 metre snow-capped peak rises into the clear blue sky. Namche Bazaar sits below, bathed in sunlight, and quietly pulls us back. We slowly zigzag our way down the steep dirt trail back to the town. As we drop back down over the crest of the hill, the wind dies, and all is peaceful and quiet aside from the crunching of our boots and the vultures on the breeze. Life is good. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Good morning on day four. Just starting the way out of Namche. And it's Steve. Shuba Benny. Shuba Behenny. Mount Everest that way. Good day. Thank you. 
Uh, she's a steep wee climb out of, out of the town. Oh. And, uh, but what a beautiful day it is. So today, we're on to Dole. I think that's how it's pronounced. Looking forward to it. The, uh, the trek begins in earnest today. We'll be back in Namcha in a couple of weeks. But yeah, let's go. Looking forward to it, feeling good. While I was busy recording video, Nidijan and Hanky had left without me, assuming I'd already gone ahead. So now I'm racing up the steep stone steps out of Namche Bazaar in pursuit. It's another stunning morning. It's nice and early, and the trail is busy, with many porters and trekkers out getting an early start. Before long, the trail levels out, and I catch the other two as they're taking a short break. The sun beating down, its jackets off, and onwards. There's no looking back, only forward. I feel strong, happy, and keen to see what lies beyond. So far, the hike from Namche is nothing short of spectacular. Um, the beginning was quite steep, but then it's just basically moved into a sort of rolling trend. A little bit of up, a little bit of down. Just really nice. The views are just unparalleled. So I think we're making pretty good progress and just actually back into the tree line. And where are we stopping for lunch? Kochapanga. Kochapanga for lunch. But, you know, some things strike home. We were just going along before and then the whiff of a bakery, a nice cinnamon smell. And sure enough, around the corner and there's a, a French bakery <laughs> right next to a prayer wheel. And good quality too. So if you come up here, you can still enjoy a bit of luxury <laughs> with your pain. Luxury and pain. Okay, day four continued. We had uh, lunch at a little spot. Um, you go over a, a sort of a, a hill, a pass from Namche, and then down into a down to the river, <laughs> which is quite painful when you go all the way down. You know you've got to go back up, and uh, we've been going back up right now. So we've come actually back into a, I don't know what kind of trees they are, they kind of look like silver birch trees but I'm sure they're not, but 
back into a bit of a tree line. There's, I don't know if you can hear the river below. It's just, you know, we see those rivers and they're just a combination of white and turquoise blue. It's just amazing. It's, the sound is just permeating through the valley and all around surrounded by just majestic Himalayan peaks we actually just came round before and uh, I mean there's really no one on the track that we're running into and um, we came around the corner and there was, I thought it was a goat at first but our guide um, said no it's a musk deer and um what a strange looking creature. It had almost two tusks that came off the front and it wasn't really that scared of us. It just hopped down off the track and um, just sort of sat there waiting for us to pass. But, I mean, it gives you an idea. I think this time of year that we're doing it, even our guide said it seems very quiet, which is good for us. And it means that, you know, if you move slowly and you keep, your noise to a minimum you might run into some wildlife god it's so nice and peaceful right now i'm going to stop you can hear this the sound of the birds and the river and nature it's just you can't beat this uh, to give you an idea just I'm doing this the date today is I think November the 5th or 6th and it's I think this is the prime time to do this uh, you're just catching the back end of the peak season you know there are still people out here but from what I understand this is very quiet and by the time we get round on our way back, there's going to be no one. But I'm able to enjoy just these absolute tranquil moments. I'm glad I'm able to share them with you. I'm trying to also keep a lookout and stay relatively quiet. And like I said before, you know, you never know what animals are around the corner. But also I just, I just passed a bit of feces on the track and I was trying to look at what kind of poo it was and yeah it had sort of hair and stuff in it and I was sort of thinking what kind of animal has hair and it's and it's feces and I mean a cat would um, and of course the Kumbu region which is where we are uh, Mount Everest oh oh my god I've literally just come right around the corner right now and there is a musk deer standing right in the track and he is staring right at me hasn't moved I'm about 15 meters away from it what a moment he's just looking at me looking around doesn't appear scared oh my god there's another one there's another one there's another one a couple meters just up to the left looking straight at me and that one doesn't have tusks so one must be a male and one must be a female. Wow, this is an incredible moment.
I'm in the Himalayas on a track. There's two musk deer no more than 10 meters from me. There's no one else around. It truly is an incredible moment. At this point, Hanky seems to be struggling a bit. So I've ended up a distance ahead of her and Nidajan, who was wisely staying with her. But because of this, I'm all alone on the trail. Just me, and the roar of the river below, and the trickle of water making its way down the many waterfalls that line the side of the trail, fighting the ever-falling temperatures as summer quickly disappears. For the first time, it's actually starting to feel cold in the shade, as the temperature drops below zero in some spots. Today, we hit a fork in the trail, and instead of taking the standard Everest base camp route, we forked left and up a separate valley. This is known as the Gokyo-ri route. It's longer and more difficult than the traditional route, but apparently features more spectacular scenery and also crosses the famous Chola Pass. While popular, this route doesn't see nearly as many trekkers as the traditional route, so it's even quieter. And during the entire day, I only see a few other people on the trail. Let's take a break and admire the view and what a view it is. Looking out over a massive valley flanked by 6,000 peak mountains covered in snow. Villages just perched on the edge of places they shouldn't be. People here just have a way of not only surviving but flourishing in the most difficult conditions. They're such friendly people too, I've got to say. And the porters that carry people's gear and I'm not using a porter but man they are machines these guys are carrying three people's bags you know so out above the tree line now we've hit above 4,000 meters for the first time 4,000 about 4,020 meters where I am right now I'm standing on the edge of a huge cliff down to a river below and as I've mentioned before surrounded by mountains I think I've just reached the town of Chole which is where we'll be staying doesn't get much more picturesque than this all the little towns here are all well, they're not really towns I suppose small villages but all the houses are very colourful and it's very tidy and you know, it almost feels like you're in, you could be somewhere tucked away in some Scandinavian village. It's been a good day, a challenging day, but a good day. And my fitness will be all the better for it. Right, moving on.
dole and not chole as I said there consist of a single dirt street lined with half a dozen or so tea houses all under the shadow of a majestic peak as I enter the village alone I jokingly ask a local where everyone is as it's so quiet and she beckons me to sit at an outside table with her and I do the seat cushion is warm from hours in the sun I sit in silence for a few minutes just taking it all in until soon enough Nidijan and Hanky come over the crest and Nidijan leads us down around the corner into a small valley and to our accommodation for the night the Riverside Lodge the wooden floorboards creak as we make our way upstairs to our rooms as it's quiet we get a room to ourselves okay <laughs> thank you oh this is this is cute yeah accommodation not a bad view isn't it cute it's very cute yeah. <laughs> i mean you can't really argue with this accommodation can you at 4100 meters elevation Hell of a view. I'd certainly say it's quite cute, isn't it? And uh, nice thick duvets, so won't be any need for a sleeping bag tonight. The room is small but cosy. It reminds me of a child's bedroom. The walls painted bright green, decorated with a hand-painted pink lotus flower pattern. It has a narrow vaulted ceiling, which makes it feel like the attic bedroom in your grandparents' house. One thing that doesn't compare, though, is that it feels cold. There's no doubt tonight will be our very first taste of sub-zero temperatures. We made a significant elevation gain today, just over 600 metres. And for the first time tonight, I'd get my first experience of something else. Something that over the coming days would eventually grow into one of the scariest times of my life. The creeping fingers of altitude sickness. Journey is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced and narrated by me, Ryan Wolfe. You'll find photos and videos dedicated to this podcast on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and on our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can support my guide, Nidijan, with a follow on his Instagram, where he puts up amazing daily photos of his current treks. You'll find his Instagram in the description of this episode. You'll also find further details about this trek in the description of every episode. For ad-free listening, bonus episodes and early release, you can subscribe to our Brevity Plus channel on Apple Plus, or you can subscribe to Journey with a one-off payment on Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of this episode. On the next episode of Journey, Everest Base Camp. I've just walked off 
the main trail a short distance and you can see here basically what this is it's more or less an abandoned farm I guess both of our blood oxygen levels were down a bit last night and hers are quite a bit down so mine's rebounded okay now but hers hasn't so we're going to actually end up probably staying an extra day um, in Dole where we are 